Chapter forty five of Kit and Kitty by Richard Doddridge Blackmore. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter forty five Rogues Fall Out. As we walked very slowly through the wilderness of thistles, which had once been a fair park trimly kept, I disturbed the mind of Sam, which was busy with abstruse calculations of all sorts of odds, by asking rather suddenly what I was to say and how I should conduct myself in the presence of this man, for I felt a deep dislike to him, not only because he had been such a plague to Kitty, but on account of his bad character and loose ways and my ill-will towards him had been increased by his cowardly treatment, as it seemed to me, of the patient people round him and encroachment on their loyalty. "'You mustn't ask me, my dear fellow,' answered Sam. "'The thing is out of my line altogether. You wanted to see him, and here he is. I must leave you to the light of nature, although he is rather a dark specimen. Perhaps he knows nothing about your trouble, but he is up to most downy bullrag's tricks.' or at any rate knows when to suspect him, and if he has had a row with Bullrag and can see his way to harm him, he will do it. For Potts is a very spiteful fellow. You had better appear first as my companion. I can manage not to let him catch your name, for he is rather hard of hearing, although he won't allow it. I shall work matters round till Downey's name comes up, and your business will be to hold your tongue and listen until you can strike in with advantage.' He will see me, I think, because I wrote to tell him that I had a little money for him. There is nothing like that to fetch pots. After a little reconnoitering from a window at the flank, we were admitted by an ancient footman, who looked as if he never got his wages, and shone into a shabby room, fusty, damp, and comfortless. Here we waited nearly half an hour, while Henderson drummed on the floor with his stick, and at last began to blow a horn which he had found behind a looking-glass. Then the master of the house appeared and shook hands with Sam and bowed to me. It is easy enough to introduce a stranger so that his name shall be still unknown, and Sir Cumberlay, not being quick of hearing, received my name as Johnson. On the turf? he inquired, and Sam said, Yes, he has been on it every day this week, which was true enough in one sense, and I longed to be back in a garden again, where we grow rogues but nothing like so many. "'Very glad to see you, very glad indeed, young sir.' This gentleman offered his hand as he spoke, but I bowed as if I had not seen it. It may be a stupid bit of priggery, but no man's hand comes into mine while I am longing to smite him in the face, and I could not help smiling at our host's new manners, so different entirely from what he showed in London, unless he had been vastly misdescribed to me. He pretended now to dignity and distance and a fine amount of grandeur, for no other reason that I could guess except that he was upon his native soil, breathing the air of his ancestral vaults and cheating folk who let him cheat because his fathers did it. But all this air of loftiness had no effect on Sam, who had rubbed whiskers many times even with a duke when their minds were moving on a good thing together. "'I got a bit of rhino for you, Potts.' he said, and I thought it showed little good taste on his part, for Sam's ancestors had been stable boys, and I have always been a good conservative. Not so much as I could wish, but every little is a help, and everybody says that you are awfully hard up. Hope it isn't true, but we must have seen you at the July if you had been at all flush. I have not been very fortunate of late, replied the baronet, still keeping his dignity on my account and my property here has been much impaired by 
by a lot of things that did not come off. I was not at Newmarket, because I intend to have nothing more to do with racing matters, which I must leave to people who are sharper than myself, and have different views of integrity, but anything really due to me. Perhaps I'd better not say any more about it. Henderson's black eyes were twinkling with contempt. I had no right property to receive the money, and if I had thought twice about it I should have refused, for I had no commission from you to collect it. But Georgie Roberts knew that I was coming to see you, and knowing me so well he took my receipt upon your behalf, because he was anxious to square up. I'll just return it to him, and he can send you a check. I heard a thing afterwards that put me in the wrong. Bullrag is a proper chap to act for you, and he seems to have been there after all, but he cannot have turned up till Friday. I'll send back these notes and his receipt to Georgie. Sam put away his pocket-book and looked contented, but Sir Cumberlay did not see it so. No, Sam, no. Business is business. I'll write you a receipt. How much did you say it was? Let me see. I forget these trifles. Somewhere about eighty-five, if I remember. Forty-five, said Sam, and I was struck with the amount, because it was the very sum that had so grieved me. He had forty against you upon the Levant. Downey managed that for you. "'Downy Bullrag never did me any good, and he never will,' said the baronet sternly, yet looking round as if afraid of echoes. "'He is always getting me into some vile scrape. "'For instance, about the young lady at Hounslow, did he carry on any more with that affair?' Sam put this question in the most off-handed manner, just as if he had said any news today. But being unused to any mystery unshuffling, I looked for the answer with extreme anxiety.' and Sir Cumberlay observed it, and was put on his guard. "'How can I tell? I know nothing of his doings,' he answered with his eyes on me while speaking to my friend. "'Downey is too deep for me. He is always up to something. Mr. Johnson, do you know him? You almost look as if you did.' "'No, I could never have had that honour,' I answered as calmly as I could. "'I live in the country and have little to do with London, except when I am there on business.' "'Very well, then. I may tell you, Henderson,' our host continued as he put aside the notes after counting them and giving his receipt, "'that Mr. Downey has not behaved of late in a very friendly matter towards myself. He has not the high principle, I am afraid, as has always governed my conduct, at least in all matters of friendship and money. My rule is rather to wrong myself than any other living being.' We have held these estates for some centuries, Mr. Johnson, and no watchpot has ever yet sullied the name. Fortune has continually been against us, but we have borne ourselves bravely and won universal esteem and even affection. I never praise myself, but when my time is over, the same thing will always be said of me. He spoke with such firm conviction that I was impressed with his words and began to feel sure that report must have wronged him until I thought of Kitty, who was no harsh judge of character. "'Hear, hear!' cried Sam. "'You have done it well, Potts. After that you can scarcely do less than invite us to drink your good health in a bottle of champagne.' "'And I will, with pleasure. Only you must excuse me while I see to it myself. The hotchpots are down in the world, Mr. Johnson, because we can never curry favour.' We cannot keep our butlers and our coach and four in our deer park as we used to. Instead of that, I keep the key of my own cellar, but I feel no shame in that. 
the shame lies rather look sharp old chap i'm as dry as a herring sam was always rough and rude in his discourse and sir cumberley set off with a significant glance at me he has taken a liking to you the old rogue henderson informed me when the door was shut because he believes that you suck all his brag in like a child you stick to that it suits you well for your face is no end of innocent an old stoop like that can be buttered up to anything if it is laid on by the right card you don't suck up to him you see but you let him suck up to himself we shall draw him of everything he knows and what matters more everything he suspects only you leave the whip hand to me green as you are and green as you will be to the last you are altogether out in that i said though i knew it was hopeless to reason with him you fellows who see such a lot of fast life are none the more sagacious for it you doubt what everybody says unless you can find a bad motive for it and you generally go wrong in the end because you can only see black all round but if this is a black sheep you take the shearing of him only i hate to go under a wrong name these words of mine prove that i was not a fool at least to my own satisfaction sam stared at me as much to say there is more in you than i thought there was but i did not care to press the point for he might take a huff and say do it yourself then only i resolved to listen carefully and see if there was anything to be learned and before he could answer our host returned with a bottle of champagne under each arm and the old retainer following with glasses and a corkscrew having a blade attached to it and i thought that he could not be bad altogether but must at least have intervals henderson will you oblige me by being our what's his name diomede or something i have a touch of rheumatism in one wrist no corkscrew wanted if the cork is cork and not wood as a great many of them are but he understands it well done sam fill for mr johnson first ah this is a right start now we know where you're up to mr johnson your good health and the same to you sam sir cumberley here's confusion to your enemies cried sam standing up to give force to it and especially to one whom i could name ah he has led you a pretty dance and feathered his own nest out of it however we won't say any more about him a downy fellow can't help being downy every man for his own hand in this little world sam you know more than you have said you go about more than i do now do you mean to say that he has let me in purposely no i never could believe that he would do it it looks rather queer but it must be straight enough no doubt everything can be explained you remember about flying goose at least they began to talk a quantity of racing stuff which was nothing but jargon to me till sir cumberley rose from his chair and struck the table glaring with his eyes and turning purple in the face then his name is not bullrag but blackard he exclaimed turning round to me to attest it and as soon as we meet i shall tell him so then he swore a round of oaths which were of no effect but to hurt himself and turn up the corners of the pity we were spreading for him but what had he lost money only i had lost more i held my tongue you must not be too hard upon him sam began to soften to make him harder every man for his own hand fair play potts you would do it yourself not for any one who trusted me that makes all the difference he thinks he can do what he likes with me he shall find the difference i know a trick or two of his that would send him to the devil if i let out 
"'Well, we won't talk about any secrets now,' said Sam, as cool as a cucumber while I was like a red-hot iron. "'His private affairs are no concern of ours, and we don't want to hear of them. "'Johnson is a very steady-going chap with a wife and six kids. "'We won't corrupt him, Potts.' "'Not much fear of that if he is on the turf,' Sir Cumberlay replied with a wink at me. "'See a good bit of the world there, don't you, Mr. Johnson?' I nodded my head and turned away, for I never was much of an actor, and now I could not trust my voice for words. But Sir Cumberlay was full of his own wrongs, as I was of mine in a different way. "'I know a thing or two, he went on, becoming more determined as we feigned to check him. "'That would stop his little tricks for a time to come. He would have to be off to the continent again if I were to treat him as he deserves. "'And don't do it, Potts.' "'Forgive and forget, that's the proper tip nowadays. "'Who doesn't try to let you in? "'It is no concern of mine, but let us talk of something else. "'I dare say he is a good fellow after all.' "'Is he?' cried Sir Cumberlay, working himself up. "'I may have done a thing or two in my time, "'but I never harmed man or woman out of pure spite. "'Every man must consider his own interest "'and try to hurt no one when it does not help himself. "'That is my idea of the rule of life.' "'but it is not Master Downey's, I can tell you that.' "'Never mind, old fellow, let us drink his good health.' Sam lifted his glass, but our host set down his. "'Whenever I hear a poor fellow run down, "'I begin to think of all that is good in him, "'and I don't believe Downey would hurt anyone "'unless he was obliged to do it on his own account. "'He made a pot of money, and he dropped a bit of yours. "'But you must not score against him for a little thing like that.' "'It is useless to talk to you, Henderson. "'You have not been hit, and you may whistle over it, "'but I'll just ask Mr. Johnson what he thinks, "'for I can see that he is a man of proper feeling. "'Now what should you say, Mr. Johnson, "'of a fellow who wanted to marry a girl who did not like him "'because he thought she had a lot of money, "'and then when she married a very quiet man "'who took her without a halfpenny, "'could not let them be happy with one another?' but got up some infernal scheme to separate them. I should say he was a scoundrel too bad to be hanged, I answered with warmth unaffected. And I was going to say more, but Sam checked me with a glance. Oh, come, no fellow would ever do such a thing as that, he spoke with contemptuous disbelief. Any man must be a fool who would get into such a scrape for nothing. And Downy Bullrag is a fool as well as what you called him, Mr. Johnson. I could tell you the story if I chose, or at least I could tell you a part of it, but it would not interest you, and it is a long in and out of rascality. Well, I won't say any more about it, and I don't know how he managed it, but he will have a score to settle about that some day. That he will, and a bitter one. I began with hands clenched and heart throbbing, but Sam kicked me under the table and whispered, while Sir Cumberlay was reaching for another bottle, "'Don't be such a gone idiot. Leave it to me, can't you?' "'I should have thought Downey was too sharp for that,' Sam stroked his chin and looked skeptical. "'Of course, I don't know him as you do, Potts, but I should have thought he was about the last man you could find to risk his hide for mere lockiness.' Well, I don't know that he risked very much. The young man is in the agricultural line, and they are fair game for anyone who have been so for the last twenty years. You may stamp on those fellows, and they rather like it. 
By George, if we treated the mill owners so, they would have marched upon London long ago, but a fellow with no kick in him must expect to get plenty of it from his neighbors. These were my sentiments to a hare, coming straight to me from Uncle Corney, and at any other time I should have struck in boldly with larger capacity of speech than thought. But to him who has no home to defend, politics are a tinkling cymbal instead of a loaded cannon. What part of the world was it in? Sam Henderson asked that the subject might not slip away. That sort of thing would never do in our part of the world, though we call ourselves pretty rural still. Well, I don't know exactly where it was, and we had better not say any more about it. Sir Cumberlay became suspicious at the first sign of direct inquiry. After all, I dare say there was no harm done, and perhaps the young fellow was glad to be quit of all before she had time to run up any bills. Although she was a devilish nice girl, I believe. But who could want more than three weeks of any woman, except for the sake of her tin, of course? Mr. Johnson, you agree with me about that, I can see. Nothing of the sort. I answered sternly, forgetting how I wrecked my purpose by my indignation. A good wife is the greatest blessing any man can have, and the man who robs him of her is no man but is a devil. You'd better set Johnson after your friend Downey, Sam Henderson struck in as Sir Cumberlay stared at me. You see how a Benedict regards the subject, and I shall have to be of his opinion soon. Next week I shall lead to the hymeneal halter. Who do you think? give you three guesses and lay a fiver you don't hit it done with you cried our host for i believe he knew three chances mr johnson you heard what he said number one violet hunter such a stunning girl wrong try again no vi hunter for me wouldn't have her if she was dipped in diamonds well then it must be gertie triggs a fine young woman and five thousand pounds wrong again only one more to go. Have your flimsy ready. Oh, I say, it can't be Sally Chalker. That would be too much luck for a chap like you. It is Sally Chalker, and no mistake, although I'll trouble you to call her Miss Chalker Potts, until she is Mrs. Henderson, and I'd like to see any fellow come between us. And over, said Mr. Cumberlay. Well, Sam, you are in luck. What a lot of things you will put us up to, then. Here's to your happiness. Well, this is good news indeed. Stop the dinner. We can have it early. But Sam declined the honor, and we soon set forth for home, as nothing more could be extracted from our host concerning the matter which had brought us here. And Sam, who understood him pretty thoroughly, felt sure that he had already told us all he knew, and perhaps even more in the way of mere suspicion. End of chapter 45